Now you have worked with your client already in a programming session, everything went well. And due to the topic that you have, whatever that might be, you already know that the next session will be an analytical session. Or maybe you've been working with your client, you had your interview and in the interview phase already there were clear points that an analytical session would be the most advisable how to proceed now. In this podcast, we are going to talk about how we follow through an analytical session. For some people, analytical hypnosis, especially regression, is the high art of hypnosis itself. Some people think it's the thing that you should do whatever the topic is your client comes with. Now, this is what we are talking about in this episode. How do you do analytical hypnosis, what other actions belong to analytical hypnosis and when is analytical hypnosis advised and when not. My name is Axel Hammach. I'm a hypnotist in Cologne, Germany, where I also work as a trainer for self-hypnosis. I'm currently here in London with Dr. John Butler, the director of the HTI, the Hypnotherapy Training International. I had the great Pleasure to participate or attend his course on hypnotherapy skills for life changed last week. And now we are taking the opportunity to record some of our podcasts of Hypnotalks questions and answers. Hello, John. Hello, Axel. And hello to our listeners. So regression hypnosis is <laughs> not the same as analytical hypnosis. Sure. The stage is yours. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, we've started with the idea of giving an overview of this topic. And so I'll run through some of the main points I think that are most important to consider in the subject. Well, regression takes us back to the event. That's the purpose, going back to the salient events, maybe a traumatic event or a sensitizing event. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. The first thing is you need to have done good uncovering work unless there's just been an abreaction and you're skilled enough, knowledgeable enough to help the client deal with that material. Otherwise, you do your uncovering work as part of the earlier stages of therapy and you've induced hypnosis and now you've uncovered a particularly important emotion, the primary underlying emotion among various emotions. And this emotion is what the client experiences that gets in the way of achieving their goal. It affects behavior, it affects their confidence, their thinking, their emotions. And that primary emotion is what we're going to amplify, intensify to go back to where the early experience occurred. The early experience occurred and then we will process the material there and we call that analytical hypnotherapy however an analytical hypnotherapy is the whole approach in one way in hypnotherapy because from the very beginning even the earliest first step of encountering the client maybe on the phone your brain can already be analyzing aspects of their speech and behavior if you're looking at them talking to them face to face because the analytical work is part of developing the very best suggestions through uncovering, you're analyzing the problems. 
But when we talk about analytical hypnotherapy, and the old term was hypnoanalysis, we're talking about a very specific range of skills usually that are, need to be understood, well learned in a proper comprehensive hypnotherapy approach so that you can not only get into those feelings and fixed beliefs and know how to process them thoroughly. Otherwise, you're simply dabbling in the client's mind, maybe stirring up problems so there's not a very great resolution or levels of change. There are many levels of change possible, but good therapists will stimulate the very best levels depending on the uh, readiness for change and motivation levels of the client. So to go to primary things that we have to deal with here, bringing the client into the primary emotion, intensifying it, and using that as the affect bridge takes them to very important events relevant to the problems, the symptoms they have, the difficulties in achieving their goals, and so on. That typically takes them back often about the age five, six, or seven years old, but it might take them to a later time, and we might well question, is that the initial sensitizing event or a later event? Now, we don't have to always hit the initial sensitizing event, although that could be very important and valuable in some cases. If we're coming to a later example of a stimulating event, an intensification and maybe re-stimulating of the original problem, we could do a lot of good work with that, and that might help the client understand a lot of their issues and begin to break the demoralizing chain, the negative pattern in their subconscious. However, normally we're looking for where things began. And with the intensification of the emotion, because we often say the psychic truth lies close to the emotion. Now we've taken that powerful emotion and it's not always the most dramatic of the emotion. Let's say a person has a lot of anger, but maybe sadness is the predominant underlying emotion really, the primary underlying emotion. And we've intensified that and taken them back to those early events, family scenarios, the family drama, as R.D. Lang, the psychiatrist often talked about it. And then we're in the middle of a drama here with a client. And we have to play the role with the client that's necessary in helping them deal with that so that they can understand the nature of the fixed idea, how the scenario affected their mind, the influences of parents, of siblings, how that programmed them, left them with certain negative beliefs, feelings about themselves or about their potential for life or whatever came up from that time. And you, you mentioned the fixed ideas. Mm. How do they relate to beliefs or core beliefs? Or is it the same? I believe they're the same. Highly emotional, powerful beliefs become fixed. And they're fixed in the subconscious and they're not changed by purely cognitive, rational discussion. Even though you can talk about them for years, they exist in another part of the circuitry of our brain, in my opinion. They're down in our limbic system and other areas of the mind connected up with emotion and somewhere between cognition, uh, you know, the thinking and emotional areas. There's so much area of the brain here involved with processing of emotion. But these ideas are far too strong for rational thinking to overcome. And this is why we end up doing this work. If we could change them by simple programming or asking a person to think more positively, think more creatively, realistically, we would do so. <laughs> However, for well over 100 years, it's been found that some of the most powerful destructive emotions with destructive behaviors, destructive fixed ideas, they certainly can't be changed in that easy manner. So we take them back, and as I say, we're uncovering then the roots. What was happening at the time when they learned these negative beliefs about themselves, they're emotionally abused, sexually abused, or whatever else happened that was detrimental to them. And who was involved in that? Was it a parent who was primarily responsible or somebody else? And so they get a chance to relive this, to re-experience it. 
not really reliving it in the sense of going back in a time machine. It's a special form of intense memory called revivification. And it's reviving it, bringing it up to the conscious awareness, bringing it up to different levels of subconscious awareness. And now we begin to work with that material, decontaminating memories, absolving the client, learning to absolve themselves of false shame and guilt, inappropriate shame and guilt, learning to understand what the other person's role may be. And the critical parent may really have been trying to correct them and improve their behavior. But the child experiences a loss of love, a rejection. And we often see that problem of lack of self-love, unconditional self-love, being learned at an early age because of unfortunate events with parents, parents who are critical and negative and so on. At any rate, whatever the child experiences now get the chance to have a new look at it. As an adult, with greater understanding, emotional understanding, greater range of emotions now from the adult level, greater understanding at the intellectual level, learning at an intuitive level to engage with that material so they understand it deeply. They understand it at a deep subconscious level so they can now begin to change the fixed idea. Is that what you also call the subconscious re-education? Absolutely. I was going to use those two words. Subconscious re-education. Adding in new perspectives, new understanding. So the old misunderstanding, or may not have been misunderstanding, it may really have been the parent was very destructive, wasn't really just trying to correct their behavior. But they can understand that now is not something that they were responsible for or that it was fair or reasonable. They can understand the parent made a mistake. Now, it's not about a blame game, but it is absolving that shame and guilt that I mentioned. It's beginning to accept and learn to nurture themselves, which they didn't learn back then. They learned to be very self-critical. Now they can begin as I say, to become like a nurturing parent to their inner child feelings in a way that their original parent didn't do, perhaps. Now, as part of learning the role of the parent in their lives, that internalized critical parent they've been carrying around, in the Gestalt dialogue and other work that we do with them, they can begin to take over the role now as a nurturing parent to themselves, nurturing mother, nurturing father, maybe grandmother, grandfather. And the client is re-educating their subconscious and changing the fixed idea to a different idea because they now have a whole other level of help available. They have their own adult mind, they have the input from the therapist, provided that therapist understands about human minds and sufficient about maturation processes, socialization, parenting issues. If the therapist is not properly trained in those, they're really just messing around in the client's subconscious and kind of hoping things will improve. Freud had the idea bringing things to conscious awareness from the unconscious, as he called it, promotes change. It most definitely does not. And that was even Freud experienced that early on. Nor does just the emotional catharsis. There may be a lot of ventilation of emotion necessary as they get to grips with their feelings, unresolved anger that needs to be discharged so they can begin to move more towards a different understanding of the person that they're angry with, maybe towards forgiveness, which is not condoning or minimizing what happened. So there's a great deal of subconscious education, Axel, changing the fixed ideas, <coughs> modifying them, amending them, removing them, and putting in new fixed ideas which are much more healthy, accurate about human minds, human nature. Now the client may be, as I said earlier, decontaminating memories, and we're adding the new resources, new perspectives. What do you mean with decontaminating memories? Well, memories can have a very toxic effect on us. Let's say, oh, I was bullied in school, and I felt weak, and I felt a uh, victim, and uh, maybe I've been very self-critical. Now, as I look back, I can see, well, 
well, maybe I couldn't do anything about it. Am I? Maybe if I fought back, there was too many of those people and it wasn't realistic and maybe what I did was not too bad, it was sensible. But instead of feeling weak or shameful or guilty, I can now heal that and decontaminate the experience. Sometimes it's simply reducing the shame or removing shame and guilt and seeing that you weren't to blame. And you could also describe it probably as you change the perception from the perspective of the child to the perspective of the adult. And yes. the child had a very limited view and it didn't and yes. very limited resources. That's correct. At hand. And as the adult, the client can then understand that, of course, from the child perspective, he did probably the best he could. But because of the That's limited right. resources, he was not able to deal with it in a positive manner or yes. productive manner. And yes. Now, as the adult, he understands that he is no longer the child. Yes. He or she is no longer the child and now can deal with that in a completely different fashion. Yes. And that would then lead to the detoxification and yes. the re-education. Absolutely. The client gets a great opportunity here to revisit experiences and change the interpretation. Not to put a false interpretation, as some people say, and, oh, this didn't happen, and so let's blank it out and pretend something else happened, which that's just introducing a false memory. So there are some very inadequate forms of analytical hypnotherapy have sprung up in the last 20 years, often by people who don't know very much about the work, about ego state therapy and gestalt, and many forms of therapy that derive from hypnotherapy that relate to this area of analytical hypnotherapy, which is an incredible area of human therapy. And you were talking about decontaminating of shame and guilt, maybe of other emotions and other feelings that are put upon them by other people or by themselves. The child back then maybe didn't have a strong benevolent authority, adult figure, to help them understand what was going on. As you say, they have an inadequate understanding, a self-destructive understanding perhaps. They can now begin to change that. We bring in adult levels, we bring in supportive at the child level, the mind becomes very open to working on that material and a skilled hypnotherapist can bring in his or her own knowledge and experience on behalf of the child. It's as if they play a parenting role right there and then with the child. And the child is beginning to learn to parent themselves here. Or using the resource, I said adding resources as well earlier. Maybe now all we need to do is to bring in the father to explain why he did what he did, even though it was inappropriate. It was counterproductive. He was really trying to help the child. Now maybe that's a truer perspective than the one the child has. And now the father becomes a positive resource to decontaminate the memory too. So you see there's a range of characters. It's like a drama, like a soap opera, the human mind in so many ways, that I've been exposed to this back then and have never understood it. And you think about systems theory and family therapy, how all that drama and the characters and the roles they played has affected us we get a chance to review it and do it in a very thorough therapeutic manner. And so at the end of all of that, the client can feel very liberated from the past and begin then to move forward with new beliefs, new ideas for the future, bringing closure, forgiveness, integration of the past into the present, parts of the mind integrated with other parts that become very fragmented and dissociated, integrating the present and the future and the conscious subconscious of saying there's a whole great change development for the client. You just mentioned forgiveness and closure. What do you mean by forgiveness and closure? 
Well, as long as we're holding on to powerful resentment and rage even, there's going to be problems because it's damaging us. So the client feels a sense of grievance. They may feel it's being weakened if it forgives. They may feel weakened in that way. They usually don't have a full understanding or a full enough understanding of forgiveness, which happens at different levels of the mind. And there's different stages. It's a process. And maybe we're starting off with at least acceptance, I often say, to begin with. And we're never condoning or minimizing the truth of how bad it was, but pointing out to the client they have the chance to set themselves free. They're going to get the main benefit for themselves from the forgiveness, whatever else benefits it does towards the person who is living, who the original perpetrator, let's call them that, who may be living or dead. So forgiveness is not the whole of closure, of course, there's understanding and many other factors involved in closure, but much of our lives we carry a lot of unfinished business and we talk about the unmet needs of the child, the baggage we carry. Analytical hypnotherapy is by far the most powerful way to deal with all of that, but we need therapists who are properly trained and trainers who have been properly trained so that we don't have some of these very warped versions occasionally or very superficial versions that are out there. And clients are going to that and sometimes reporting, I was just more upset at the end of it or I didn't really get much benefit. You mentioned several times integration. Yes. And this is something that I haven't heard in other trainings, for example. And you pointed out how important integration is. Mm -hmm. What is integration? All right. I believe that many of our listeners have no idea what that might be. Well, as you say, many courses don't cover it. Now, integration is covering many parts of our psyche. I was mentioning earlier a little bit about integrating past and present into a healthier configuration that we have our knowledge and experience from the past applied in the present, but not carrying limitations. But we're always living in the present. When we do the regression, they're dealing with the past in the present. Now, in living in the present, of course, that's one part of it. Integrating ourselves into our within, the different ego states that may be competing, having all kinds of conflict, we are integrating conscious and subconscious levels of understanding particularly. This integration word, of course, comes into different forms of therapy. It's rarely talked about in hypnotherapy, but as you know, in Gestalt, we're looking to create the whole. Mm -hmm. That means integrating different parts and different experiences of our lives, different times in our lives. And so we need to understand it at a deep level, sufficiently deep to do this good work in hypnotherapy. Gil Boyne is the founder of Transforming Therapy and we have continued. I've worked with him for many, many years and taught with him and over the years we've been developing it further and further and it continues to develop. We're the primary school now teaching it in the world according to Gil Boyne's licensing system. We were authorized to do that. And there are other people out there doing bits of it and doing some good work. It's a very comprehensive system and Gil learned many forms of psychotherapy and trains in hypnotherapy. He was particularly influenced by the great master Dave Ellman, who took hypnoanalysis to phenomenal levels from where it had been. And as Gill worked further into the 60s and 70s and on from then even, and his various kinds of training and all the work he did with clients, he began to add in new elements and expanding on existing aspects of hypnoanalysis and create what we call transforming therapy. And one element in transforming therapy that was very new to hypnotherapy and a lot of the work in hypnoanalysis was to integrate conscious and subconscious understandings. That when you worked with the client to subconsciously re-educate them based on all that uncovering and reprocessing work, you still have to bring a conscious understanding, bring it up to that level so the client can see clearly, consciously the connections. I always say it's like piece of a jigsaw puzzle. 
I was feeling my feelings change as I've done the regression and I've done the catharsis and re-educating of emotions and subconscious beliefs. But my intellect has to now understand how all that has worked throughout its history, how things have affected me from those early negative experiences. And now how this material that's been uncovered and reprocessed is going to affect me in the here and now, conscious, subconscious. We must marry up those two minds and how we're going to take that forward for the future with the conscious mind participating along with the subconscious in goal setting and making changes happen in life that are very necessary therapeutically to create that wonderful transformation we're aiming towards. We can't guarantee the same level of success with every client. Some will move faster than others. It depends on their motivation as well because they can always inhibit the process. But I found as well those who practice transforming therapy effectively, properly trained in the methods, find tremendous, tremendous effects and value for clients who work with the process. And finally, when you've done that uncovering and reprocessing and integration and reintegration, because sometimes you have to deintegrate a little bit to reintegrate, that's why it's a big topic. I can't spend too long on it here. Now we do that in another, another time. Yeah, now you're ready to put in the new programming because they don't have all those counter suggestions fighting the good suggestions, which before was limiting their therapy. They're ready now to accept new suggestions in a wonderfully positive way compared to where they were before. And then we can set really good homework and finish up the session then. If they need a further regression session, an analytical session, we do that another time. I often say we may do daddy issues this week, mommy issues next week, sometimes the two on the same week, maybe Uncle Jim as well. Whoever there might show up. Whoever's in their psyche. <laughs> affecting yeah. them. Before we sum it up, when you explained integration, I thought about a metaphor that you could use for that. If you are in a large company and a lot of companies have this restructuring and restructuring, etc., 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 and you can do that as often as you want. There's always something going wrong, mostly because all the various departments are not fully informed and some know what it is about, some others have no clue what it is about. So is that probably possible to say if all of the departments are on the same understanding level, that's what integration is about. So that the conscious and the subconscious and using subconscious and conscious mind only as a metaphor for the various departments that we have in our head. Various processes is a better way yeah. to think than separate rooms or floors in a house. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, as you know, many people, when they come for stop smoking, they say, I shouldn't be smoking. And the subconscious says, oh, I need a cigarette. And we yeah. know which one wins. See, there's a lack of integration there. When mm -hmm. the subconscious has the same view as the conscious, when it says, this is ridiculous, I don't like it anymore, I don't need it, I don't want it, I can relax without it. Now, <laughs> there's an integration of beliefs and ideas and feelings and so on at a very deep level. So the metaphor you've given there of a department, a departments in the business, that's true, that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. But as you can see, we exist on many levels. Of course. Yeah. And they need to be in communication. That's a simple way of saying it. Yeah, they need to speak to each other, that's otherwise... It. And some people know a little bit about the history in just one or two quick sentences. Mm. It was the great genius of Pierre Janet, who we credit with the dissociation theory okay. of human personality. Parts of ourselves are not in communication. And his theory 
was based around his work with hypnosis and he pointed out that it was not enough to bring things to conscious awareness like Freud suggested or to have emotional catharsis. He said that the fixed ideas, the idee fix, in the subconscious need a hypnotic level of intervention and they need to be integrated into the other parts of the personality and other ideas within the different parts of the personality to bring about healthy functioning of the mind. And it's to him then that we low a lot of what became ego state therapy, different states of ego. And that's what really, that's the origins in the modern era, in the modern times, of what we call analytical hypnotherapy, or it was previously called hypnoanalysis. Going back to Piaget. That's right. Now, because we are already a little bit over our set time, summarize it in three to four sentences. <laughs> I'll do my best. Well, okay. I, well, you have done so far fantastically. Oh, well, thank you very much. In the analytical therapy part of the session, let's call it that, which really starts from the very beginning of therapy. But in this specifically analytical part, we are taking the client back to the past. That's regression. To review events that have caused problems, that have set fixed ideas into their mind of a powerful, negative, emotionalized state usually. We're revisiting that, reintegrating that material through processing it, adding resources, decontaminating it, having gestalt dialogues with parts themselves, with other people, and so on, so they can have understanding now, subconscious education, integration with a conscious level, and now reprogramming can really begin to be very powerful for those cases where it was not sufficient before. Thank you very much, John, for your insight. Thank you, Axel, and thanks to our listeners again. And talk to you again in the next follow-up podcast. I look forward to that. And to all of our listeners, if you have liked this episode, please give us a like, a friendly comment, subscribe to our channels, and share this episode via email and on social media. And make sure to follow up with the next episodes please check out our homepages. You'll find them linked on the homepage of this podcast. With that said, I'm Axel Hombach, online with Dr. John Butler. Have a great time. Until next time.